In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the questions that is most directed at teachers of the Bible and directors of Sunday school classes and even preachers in the pulpit is to teach on the book of St. John's Revelation. We are fascinated by this book, by the imagery, the symbolism, the mystical passages, and even the eschatological, that's a big fancy word for the end times, the eschatological nature and prophecies that we find in the text. And while we cannot do justice in this one little setting for the entire book of Revelation, and notice that there's no S, it is just the revelation of John, not the revelations of John. Just, just one S, it's singular. We can begin with a general understanding of this one episode in the book, which was our epistle reading for today. St. John is given a vision, a revelation of what heaven looks like. There is another word for this, and in some older English Bibles, this book is given that name. And some of you may have it if you have a King James Bible. It says that this is the apocalypse. Now, our modern usage of that word, apocalypse, means something like this. The end of all things, or as some dark and sinister episode. Or we use it to describe something dark, like the film Apocalypse Now or the coming apocalypse. But what the word apocalypse really means is unveiling, as in the unveiling of something that is present, but is perhaps not seen clearly, or is present but hidden. This vision, this apocalypse that John receives, begins not at some future point in time for John, nor even in the future or in the past for us. Rather, this vision is of the ever-present now, of the events that are happening in heaven, in the place where God dwells. This is a foretaste of the vision of eternity, the realm in which God lives, or at least the beginning of it. And it is what is occurring now, and has been occurring always and will occur forever. So the best way to describe it is the ever-present now. One other thing to dive into very briefly is this. Revelation is written in a series of images with fantastical creatures and numbers that entice the imagination. And all those images and there's creatures and numbers of significance are a cipher or a code to Christians, to all believers, but particularly to those who are under persecution from both Rome and perhaps even factions of Judaism that were driving Christians not only out of their synagogues, but also were clamoring for their arrest and their death. And knowing that, we have to interpret this code, this understanding of what St. John is pointing out to us, so that we can begin to unravel, at least in part, what is happening in this scene. 
It is important to notice that at the very beginning, John is painting the picture of the throne room of heaven with this crowd that no one can number. We, we, us, here in 21st century America, speak of millions and billions and sometimes even trillions every day. But those numerical values were not known to John back then, or at least probably weren't known to John. And so to gain this sense of a multitude, he has to talk about it being so vast that no one could number it. No one could see the end of its length. And strikingly to John and the first century uh, readers of this letter, it is a multitude made up of people from every nation, from every tribe. If we translate this to our modern ears, it would be like saying something about all people from around the globe. And not only that, but people of, and because we're in the United States, of the Apache and the Comanche and the other various North American or Native American American nations, but also moving on to different states like Africa and the Middle East, where we learn much about different factions and tribalism in Iraq and Afghanistan after the events of September 11th. So imagine that setting, if you can, in the midst of this crowd. And in that crowd, there stands a throne. And the Lamb, he whom we know to be Jesus, is seated upon this throne. Now, a few chapters earlier in Revelation, this Lamb is described as the Lamb who had been slaughtered. The image of the Lamb as Jesus is significant for several reasons. First, the Lamb is an image that invokes both memory from the Old Testament as well as from the passion of our Lord. As you may remember, on the evening of the Passover, when the children of Israel were still held in bondage in Egypt, the Lord God told Moses to slaughter lambs at sunset and to place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintels of the houses that the Israelites were in. And in that way, the blood of the lamb was assigned to the angel of death to the destroyer, to pass over that house as a slaughter had already occurred there. Putting the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel was both a sign of faith and the mark of redemption. Later still, we recall that John the Baptist, not the same John as who wrote Revelation, calls Jesus the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, something we sing each week here after we fracture, after we break the bread. Jesus, according to the tradition found in St. John's Gospel, was crucified at the same time that the lambs for the Passover were being slaughtered for the upcoming feast. In that way, Jesus becomes the lamb, the Passover sacrifice for us. So in Revelation 5, which we read last week, the image of the lamb who is slaughtered is a reminder to us of the true Paschal lamb, the true Passover 
lamb. But today is Good Shepherd Sunday. So should we not talk about Jesus being a good shepherd? After all, that's what our Lord Jesus Christ called himself in our gospel reading today. Yes, but we can't ignore the paradox, which is something that is present in many places of Scripture when we discuss the nature of Jesus. Jesus is both lamb and shepherd. Jesus is both priest and victim. Jesus is both the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all things. And there is a very subtle hint in our reading from Revelation that Jesus, as the Lamb, becomes the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate leader of his people. And this shepherd, just like our psalm says to us in great imagery about leading us beside the waters of comfort, this shepherd and this Lamb will lead us to follow him to springs of living water to springs of the water of life, water that gives life abundantly. One final symbol to notice, and it's less a symbol as much as part of the unveiling of the ever-present now. St. John sees not just people from every land, nation, and tribe, but he also sees them robed in white. Those who have come through the great ordeal. These are the martyrs of the church. Those who have followed the example of Christ and have given themselves up in witness to him. That's what martyr means. Martyr means witness uh, in, in Greek. And through the blood of the Lamb, these martyrs, these witnesses, have had their robes, their royal garments, washed, made clean by the sacrificial death of the Passover lamb, of Jesus himself. But one thing that we must understand is that this scene is currently being portrayed in heaven with the angels and the saints of God worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. Because having already achieved their own victory, in the promises of Christ. And it is occurring now. Right now. As we sit here. We are joining with that heavenly chorus. Even as we meet here. And that is part of the reason why this hour. This time on Sunday mornings that we gather together is so vitally important. We do not worship Jesus alone as just little outposts. But we are joining in with that heavenly chorus. Think about the end of the preface that we say just before the Sanctus. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name evermore praising the insane. Holy, holy, holy. What we are doing now is not a separate one-off service where we gather together, sing a few songs, hear a sermon, say some prayers, and leave. 
this nave becomes the very throne room of God. And it's part of the reason why we try to make it look as much like heaven as possible. The vestments and the robes, the incense and the bells, a beautiful altar, and a veiled chalice. And in a few minutes, we unveil it. We apocalypse it, if you will, to reveal the body and blood, the very sacrament of the presence of our Lord as we begin the Eucharistic liturgy. This is the throne of heaven right here. We, too, worship the Lamb. We, too, standing on this side of reality, worship Christ because the victory has been won by him already. And we, too, along with the saints, that multitude which none can number, wait for the culmination of all things, the final resurrection, when there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more darkness. Our blessed Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the good shepherd. It is he who guides us not only in this life, but in the life to come. And then in the age to come after that, the age of the new creation. Jesus is the Paschal Lamb, the true Passover Lamb, who was slain just as the former Passover lambs were slain as a sign of faith and redemption, Jesus, our lamb, was slain to redeem us and to show us what true faith in God the Father looks like. Let us, too, join now and always with the saints and the angels with the martyrs and the prophets in that heavenly worship as best as we can in our own present reality. And let us join in with them in saying, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wisdom and riches and strength and honor and glory and blessing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.